The Will Rogers Highway was one of the original road systems in America. The famous road covers 2,448 miles, starting in Chicago, Illinois, and ending in Santa Monica, California. Get your kicks on Route 66. Get your kicks on Route 66. The 66 books of the Bible provide us with a spiritual road worth traveling. However, the best-selling book of all time can be intimidating to read. It contains more than 600,000 words written by 40 authors in three languages over 1,600 years. Mapping out the journey through Scripture is a challenge. For the ultimate road trip through the Bible, get your kicks on God's Route 66. Start in Genesis and don't stop reading until you reach the revelation of Jesus Christ. I'm Ron Jones. <laughs> And this is something good. The Bible is the holy, infallible Word of God. Every page, every passage, every word is profitable for teaching and reproof. But how do all 600,000 words fit together? Hello and welcome to Something Good with Dr. Ron Jones, lead pastor at Atlantic Shores Baptist Church in Virginia Beach, Virginia. I'm Brian Davis and welcome to 2022. Today and for the next several months, Ron answers that question as he takes us on a fascinating journey through all 66 books of God's Word. The series is called Route 66, The Ultimate Road Trip Through the Bible. And we begin, as they say, at the beginning starting with the books of the law, Genesis through Deuteronomy. Ron calls it road trip number one. Stay with us now or visit somethinggoodradio.org to listen to the broadcast on your schedule. That's somethinggoodradio.org. And while you're there, check out Something Good Television, Something Good Courses, Something Good Travel, and the new Something Good Digital Library, where you can search for biblical answers to your questions from nearly 30 years of Ron's Bible teaching ministry. Here's Ron with today's Something Good Radio message, Genesis, the beginning of all things. On Christmas Eve, December 24th, 1968, mark it on your calendar, astronauts Bill Anders, Jim Lovell, and Frank Borman did something that I will say is hard to imagine scientists doing today. As they were orbiting the moon for the first time in human history, <laughs> you know what they did? They read from the book of Genesis. We are now approaching lunar sunrise, Anders said. And for all the people back on Earth, the crew of Apollo 8 has a message that we would like to send to you. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the Earth. Can you imagine what they saw and how that sounded from way out into outer space? Anders read Genesis 1, verses 1 to 4, Lovell followed by reading verses 5 through 8, and Borman read verses 9 through 10. Their message was included in the mission flight, uh, the flight plan that is, printed and printed on fireproof paper. And today you can go to the Alder Planetarium in Chicago, Illinois, and you can see a copy of that flight plan and what they read. And it's on display for the public to read. Better yet, you can pick up a copy of the Holy Scriptures and read the entire book of Genesis for yourself. 
Welcome to the ultimate road trip through the Bible, and welcome to our first stop, which is the book of Genesis. Now, it's the first book of the Bible, and it tells us um, really the beginning of all things. If you want to go back to the beginning and start from there, you go to the book of Genesis. Now, um, early on in the book of Genesis, we run into four words that I think are significant. Let there be light. It's part of the creation story. And according to the book of Genesis, those four words set in motion the loving, thoughtful, and purposeful intent of a creator God who made us in his image, male and female, as the crowning achievement of his work. What a story it is in Genesis chapter 1. Now, the English word Genesis comes from the Greek title of the book, which is derived from a Latin word meaning origin. If you're a linguistic type person, uh, you'll be interested to know that in the Hebrew language in which the Old Testament was originally written, the first word of the first book of the Bible is translated in the beginning. Thus, Genesis, for all those linguistic reasons, is a good name for this book. It begins in the beginning, and then goes on to say God created the heavens and the earth. Now, the Bible not only assumes the existence of God, but it also assumes his pre-existence in eternity before time began. That's inherent in that phrase, in the beginning. Before time began, and at the beginning of where time began, God was already there. And he was there as far as our mind can imagine in eternity past. Uh, The psalmist said it this way in Psalm 90 and verse 2, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. The Bible, again, never tries to prove the existence of God, but by the time you get to the book of Psalms, it's saying something like this, the fool says in his heart, there is no God. Of course, Genesis is not without controversy or debate. Uh, The first 10 words of the Bible set the framework for a particular worldview that is not embraced by everybody. We know that. Instead, some people place their faith, yes, their faith, in Charles Darwin's theory of evolution, which suggests that humans and everything else in the material world evolved randomly over eons of time from a simple form of protoplasmic material into complex organisms and natural systems. It takes a lot of faith to believe we're all here by accident. Thus, many believe that the Bible's creation story and science are at odds. Others try to blend the two beliefs into something called theistic evolution, uh, the idea that God used evolutionary processes over millions of years to create the universe and us. It's a very interesting and thought-provoking idea. However, such attempts at what I call bipartisan belief always elevate the fallible theories of man above the infallible Word of God and we don't ever want to do that. It also compromises the plain-spoken sense of Genesis regarding a six-day creation. So some people believe that, you know, the Bible from the very get-go and science are at odds, but actually they're really not. Actually, I can, I can harmonize the Bible and science in the first 10 words that we just read. Scientists tell us that to understand how anything in the world forms, we must consider the following. And you probably learned this in your fifth grade science class. So as I often like to ask you, are you smarter than a fifth grader? All right. Those five things that scientists tell us um, must be in action and 
present for anything to form are time, force, action, space, and matter. Okay? Now go back and let's read the first 10 words of the Bible and insert these ideas. In the beginning, there's time. God, there's force. Created, there's action. The heavens, there's space. And the earth, there's matter. So I don't like to say that science and the Bible are at odds. What I like to say is that sometimes, sometimes it takes science, and I love our scientists, but it takes them a little bit of time to catch up to what God already knows. So let's leave room for that. Now, Genesis does more than just shed light on the origin of the universe and human life. Genesis is also critical to our understanding of many fundamental Christian doctrines, including the nature of God, the nature of man, plus the nature and consequences of sin. Any one of those uh, doctrines and theological ideas are worth our uh, study and worth putting our mind to understanding, but they have their roots in the book of Genesis. In Genesis, we discover the origin and meaning of marriage of all practical matters. That marriage between one man and one woman for one lifetime is not a cultural idea, it's a creation idea. God created marriage. Don't mess with marriage, as we say in Texas. Don't mess with Texas. Don't mess with marriage. It's God's idea. It's a creation concept that has a ripple effect all the way through the pages of Scripture. Work also matters to God in the early chapters of Genesis. We learn that work, the work that you do, the work that I do, it has intrinsic value. God created the heavens and the earth in six days, and then he rested on the seventh, all of that. Our relationship to the environment is important as well. A weekly day of rest establishes the rhythm of life that is both healthy and also becomes a picture of the Sabbath rest that Jesus gives us in salvation. That's um, understood a little bit further as we get into um, the New Testament. Furthermore, the book of Genesis explains how death, disease, suffering, and bloodshed came into the world. It sheds light on our dark side. It unmasks the origin of evil. Sometimes when you look outside of your own window and maybe through the lens of some newscast and you see, wow, this, this world is just crazy. Uh, how, how, do you, how do you process all of that? Well, Genesis tells us we live in a fallen world and we are fallen human beings. As the story of God unfolds throughout Scripture, Genesis contains the many tributaries that expand into larger theological rivers as the story of God continues. If I were to illustrate it another way, the robust theological oak trees that are foundational to the Christian life, they began as acorns of belief in Genesis. So it is without exaggeration to say that if we uh, somehow stumble in our understanding of Genesis, we will veer off-road and end up in a theological ditch. Genesis is just that important. That's why it's at the beginning. It's not only the beginning of all things in our material universe and the beginning of all things that explains our origin and all of that, but it is, is, it is the beginning of all things as it relates to even the orthodoxy of our faith. You can trace every major doctrine of the faith back 
even to the early chapters of Genesis, Genesis 1 to 11, which explains why the book of Genesis is one of the most attacked books in all the Bible. Attacked by the devil, attacked by liberal theologians, attacked by uh, uh, people who mock the Christian faith. They love to attack the book of Genesis and throw it off in a ditch somewhere. Now, broadly speaking, and let's go up to that higher elevation and try to get a handle on this book that is 50 chapters long. Yeah, it's a big one to read, but I encourage you, begin. Begin reading it, and um, you'll be surprised at just how fast you can read through those 50 chapters. But in chapters 1 to 11, Genesis focuses on four major events that are pivotal for all the reasons that I just explained. Creation, the fall of humans into sin, a worldwide flood that God used to judge the evil inhabitants of the earth. And then you finish out Genesis 1 to 11 with the story of the Tower of Babel. What is that all about? Well, it's the first time in human history that humans tried to, to create a one world government. Up next, the second half of Dr. Ron Jones' message, Genesis, the beginning of all things. Today's message is from Ron's new monumental series called Route 66, the ultimate road trip through the Bible. Watch or listen to the entire series at your convenience in the Something Good Digital Library. Also a place where you can download Ron's sermon notes for today's message. The new streaming library is located at somethinggoodradio.org. That's somethinggoodradio.org. Ron has also written an ebook that goes along with this part of the ultimate road trip through the Bible based on the books of the law. That's Genesis through Deuteronomy. This 45-page digital resource is our gift to you for a donation of any amount to support the ministry of Something Good Radio. Request your ebook today when you make a gift to Something Good Radio. In the last days of planet Earth, there will be one government that rules over the entire earth, but that will not be our first attempt at a one world government. From the book of Genesis, here's Ron with the rest of today's Something Good Radio message, Genesis, the beginning of all things. The centralization of government on this earth, there was a king named Nimrod. Don't ever name your kid Nimrod, all right? But a king at that time named Nimrod decided to pull everybody together to centralize government and build this big tower. And God looked down from heaven. He knew something that we didn't, and that is that when power centralizes, evil compounds. And so he scattered them with a differing of languages. There's a lesson to learn there. The United States of America is not a perfect country. We're not a perfect government. But our founding fathers decentralized power into three branches of government and put checks and balances in place. Why? Because they understood human nature, as it's explained from the book of Genesis. Centralized power, as is the case in socialism and communism, compounds evil. And you want to stay away from that as best as you can. Go further in the book of Genesis, broadly from chapters 12 to 50, and what you find at the beginning of verse or chapter 12 is the, the narrative narrows. We have these broad, sweeping, major events in chapters 1 to 11, and then everything narrows down to a single person, his wife and his descendants. I'm talking about Abraham, Sarah, 
and their descendants, Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph. And those are the four main characters. They're known as the patriarchs of the Old Testament. The timeline of Genesis spans the earliest culture in Mesopotamia dating back to 6500 B.C. and goes all the way through the Egyptian Middle Kingdom of 1804 B.C. The best and most conservative scholarship, and this is where I am, um, identifies Moses as the author, the human author that God used to pen uh, these stories in this narrative. Moses was guided by divine inspiration and given Holy Revelation, most people believe, somewhere between 1450 to 1410 B.C., not only in the writing of the book of Genesis, but the entire book or the entire uh, books of the law, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, uh, we attribute Mosaic authorship to that. If you're interested in geography, the book flows through places like Eden and Haran, Canaan, and Egypt. Two cities emerge in the book of Genesis that uh, you can trace all the way through to the end of the Bible, even to Revelation. Uh, In many ways, the Bible is a tale of two cities. Before Charles Dickens wrote about uh, London and Paris, the Bible tells us about Jerusalem and Babylon. Of course, Babylon coming out of the Tower of Babel, a picture of, uh, of, of man's attempt to control his own destiny. And then Salem emerges in Genesis chapter 15 when after a time of war, Abraham goes out and fights and defeats the kings in his region. He then meets up with a kind of a mysterious figure named Melchizedek that we learn later is an Old Testament type of Christ. We learn this from Hebrews chapter 7. But Melchizedek was the king of Salem. (laughs) Abraham gave tithes to Melchizedek. He, 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 you know, gave honor to Melchizedek, and uh, Salem eventually becomes Jerusalem, uh, the holy city of God. And you can trace these two cities, Jerusalem and Babel, Babylon, all the way uh, to the end of the age, and, and it starts here in the book of Genesis. Truly, Genesis sets forth the beginning of all things. Even God's chosen people, the nation of Israel, the Hebrew people, started in the book of Genesis. Starts in Genesis chapter 12 when God made a covenant with a man named Abraham. And that covenant included a land grant. Today, the conflict over this beautiful piece of real estate nestled against the Mediterranean Sea there in the Middle East is uh, largely explained or largely explains, rather, the rift between Israel and the Palestinians today. It goes back to the land grant. I remember years ago we were in Israel, and I forget exactly where we were in our our visit of the Holy Land, but we stepped into kind of a visitor center-type place, and there was a map, and our Jewish guide was was showing uh, this map of the Middle East, and there were some names that uh, dated back to the time of Genesis, didn't exactly you know, line up to the maps of today, but she explained all of this and uh, took us to Genesis chapter 15, where God restates the covenant with Abraham and talks about uh, uh, the, the, the scope of the land grant. And it was a reminder that the nation of Israel and the Hebrew people, the chosen people of God, through whom Messiah comes, have never fully 
occupied the land that God had given to them. And today, there are many land for peace negotiations that keep shrinking and shrinking and shrinking the land that God had given. Now it's just a little sliver of a piece of land nestled up against the Mediterranean Sea. Um, The land mass is about the size of New Jersey. But there's coming a day when Jesus Christ returns. And now I'm fast forwarding to the end of the book, the end of, of the Bible itself. When Jesus Christ returns and establishes his millennial kingdom on this earth, and that's when all of the promises of God to his chosen people, which are yes and amen, will be fulfilled, that's the time I believe Israel will occupy the entirety of the land grant given to them. But between now and then, conflict, debate, negotiations, peace treaties, broken peace treaties, it's ongoing, and it started in the book of Genesis, even as early as Genesis chapter 12. That's a lot to consider, isn't it? A lot happening in the book of Genesis. Who am I? How did I get here? Why am I here? Where am I going? We all ask these questions to discover our identity, our origin, our purpose, and our destiny. Ron explores these questions tomorrow in part two of his message, Genesis, the beginning of all things. If you missed part of today's teaching, or if you'd like to hear it again, visit somethinggoodradio.org to listen on demand. That's somethinggoodradio.org. Hello, friend. I'm Ron Jones of Something Good Radio. If you've been with us for a while, if you're a regular listener and God is using this broadcast in your life, I want to speak directly to you. When you first tuned in or streamed something good, did you know that other people paid to air that program? We call them our ministry partners. They have people just like you in mind when they donate monthly to something good, which is a 100% listener-supported ministry. Now that you're a regular listener, will you do the same? Will you help us share something good with someone else? We created the 828 Club for people who choose to partner with this ministry through prayer and monthly financial support. It's based on Romans 828, which in the message says, every detail in our lives of love for God is worked into something good. I'm asking you to prayerfully consider joining the 828 Club today by giving $28 or more per month to share something good with someone else. And when you do, we'll send you some resources to help you grow in your relationship with God. It's our way of saying thanks for your partnership in this gospel ministry. So please join the 828 Club today. Here's Brian with all the details. None of us can accomplish God's will without a little help. Today, with your help, Something Good Radio will keep sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ through these radio and internet broadcasts. When you partner with us, we'll send you a free copy of Ron Jones' full-length book, Mysteries of the Afterlife. Exploring its amazing secrets, To join the 828 Club today, visit our new and expanded website, somethinggoodradio.org, and look for the Partners tab at the top of the homepage. That's somethinggoodradio.org. Or call 757-276-1099. And if you can't become a partner but would like to make a single donation to Something Good Radio today, go to somethinggoodradio.org and make the best gift you can. 
As our way of saying thanks for supporting the ministry, we'll give you a copy of a new ebook by Dr. Ron Jones that goes along with his series, Route 66, The Ultimate Road Trip Through the Bible, the first in a series of eight ebooks based on the books of the law, Genesis through Deuteronomy. Request your ebook today when you make a gift to Something Good Radio. Make a donation online at somethinggoodradio.org or mail your gift to P.O. Box 6245, Virginia Beach, Virginia, 23456. You can also call our offices, 757-276-1099. Well, what does Genesis tell us about our origins? Where did we come from? We were created in the image of God. Just read Genesis chapter 1. Why does the devil attack this book more than any other? Because if he can upset your understanding of your origin, I mean, he's going to mess you up in 10,000 different ways. That's tomorrow in part two of Dr. Ron Jones' message, Genesis, the beginning of all things. Join us then for Something Good. For Ron and the entire team here at Something Good Radio, I'm Brian Davis. God bless and thanks for listening.